Hello, my name is David. Thank you so much for coming out here on the Evolution Podcast, which is a melting point for ideas and the latest in tech trends. And our topic for today will be digitizing legacy industries with new technologies. So I'd like to start off very simply. What does it mean to digitize legacy industries with new and innovative technologies? Uh, Arnold, can you uh, help us out with that? Sure. So I'm very thank you for having us. I'm Arnold from the Cryptax. So uh, what we mean by this is how we can take an industry that hasn't moved for the past 30 years with very little innovations and how do we bring the tech, uh, which is the best of the tech which is done today, mm-hmm. into transforming this industry and disrupting it in order to make it much more efficient for all stakeholders. Okay, this is a bit what we're doing. okay lovely. And so moving on, what is Cryptax? Like, you sure. obviously started this company. This is your, I would say, your baby essentially. So. Explain to us what how you came up with the idea and what is trip tax. Sure. So trip tax, uh, like the name is suggesting, it's about trip and tax. Mm-hmm. So trip and tax is tourist tax reform. So tourist tax reform is this type of legacy industry mm-hmm. that has been there for more than thirty years, and this is the typical, I would say, uh, industry that needs disruption. So today, how it works is that uh, it's really aimed for luxury stores, mm-hmm. and when you go travel overseas, you have to find a store who's doing that. Then you say, hey, I'm a tourist, you give your passport. And after that, you have to fill a lot of paperwork, you still fill a lot of paperwork, and you get envelopes and a lot of uh, all these uh, papers and spend a lot of time. Then you go to the airport, you queue even more over there, you have to take your goods, show your goods. Then after you get a stamp on your paper, and again, you pass the border and you queue again to get mom, uh, to, to get some money uh, back. So it's a terrible experience. So what is trip tax doing is completely changing everything about this industry. First of all, we work on the store partnership, uh, store partnership less model, meaning that we don't partner with the stores. Mm-hmm. Up to today, you don't have choice. If you're a tourist, you have to use the solution mm-hmm. in the store. With our solution, which is a digital solution, we have direct contact with government, and it means that you can use trip tax from your from your mobile phone, either an app or directly online uh, at any store across the country. Then you don't have to do any paperwork. So when you go in the store, you can purchase whatever you want without any minimum purchase. That's mm-hmm. why we don't do luxury uh, shopping. We do everything. Okay. And you just take a picture of the invoice, mm-hmm. then you take a selfie, and that's basically it. Once you're ready to go back home, you press a button, mm-hmm. and uh, everything is generated automatically. And uh, you just have to scan your phone at your point of exit. And once you're back home, you get refunded instantly and an average up to 50% more than mm-hmm. the competition. So it's really a way to completely change who is the target. Right now we support every store, mm-hmm. luxuries, and to make the power back into the hands of the users to make it very well. So why do we do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, before starting TripTax, I was uh, working in a big French retail company that was in charge of developing all the commercial and oh, franchise activities meaning that our own stores were doing tourist tax reform for our clients. And uh, we grew quite a bit to more than uh, 12 countries. And uh, when I was traveling a bit, traveling a lot, mm-hmm. uh, you always have to uh, get some gift for friends and family when you're back yeah. in your home. Otherwise, you're the most needed people. And family say, hey, why are you traveling? You never bring me back anything. So, of course, I was doing this. And during doing this, you're always trying to save a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to do your tourist tax reform. And uh, the experience was terrible. The experience was terrible across the board, is the one I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. And I say, why is it the case? And 
started digging a little bit is because there's only two companies that are being 93% of the market, so they have no incentive to innovate. That's how CryptApp was born and bringing yeah. all those new technologies to make everything smooth, automated, and rewarding for everyone in the in this uh, industry. Yeah, no, because that's what I was going to ask you. Because generally, it like the tourist tax refund industry is very difficult because most people that are in it already have a monopoly on it. They're not very keen on having other people coming in. So, seeing as there was so much competition, despite all of that. What was the main factors behind you wanting to like delve into this industry? Because most people, when they look at it, they'll be like, okay, these people have a monopoly and trying to tap into an industry like this, there's nothing but just heartache getting into it because these people are going to give a lot of pushback. But despite that, you still went in head on into this industry. That, that's correct. So first of all, you need some government support there. Mm -hmm. Is that like you mentioned, it's a monopoly, meaning that those companies, they have been doing whatever they want for the past 10 years, and governments are getting a little bit tired mm -hmm. of that. Because it's means they import their own system to the government and they say, oh, this is the way it works. With CryptX, we work hand in hand with governments and we're actually being super transparent and trying for them to reduce the fraud, reduce the cost, mm -hmm. and, and we bring all type of tools, I would say, uh, to make it much easier for government to operate. Okay. The second part is the reason, main reason why government launched for tax reform mm -hmm. is that they want to help retailers local in the country okay. because a tourist that knows it's going to get a tax back will spend much more money. Mm -hmm. But right now, only luxury stores are actually profiting from this. And most of the time, the luxury stores, they are not even uh, companies that are originate from the country. So the value proposition for crypto with the government mm -hmm. say, hey, it's for every store, even the smallest store available, as long as they are doing uh, their VAT, Mm -hmm. which is mandatory in most of the countries, yep. then they will be supported. So we, of course, compete with the big guys, mm -hmm. but we only overlap on a very small percentage, which is the luxury shopping, well, of course, you can use your tax in luxury stores, but the rest of the store, which is more than 85% of the market, mm -hmm. nobody is doing for tax refund there. So we support all the small okay. merchants, or merchants that are not categorized in, uh, in luxury. A good example being one of our best selling store uh, today for mm -hmm. the reform is Decathlon. You know, ah, the yeah. them because they are not luxury stores, of course, they don't have to respect mm -hmm. you But tons of people, they love to go there. And when they go overseas, they say, hey, I'm going to buy my skiing prayer, uh, I'm going to buy a snowboard, I'm going to buy my golf set, because mm -hmm. it's going to be already very attractively priced. Yeah. Plus, with the tourist tax reform, it's definitely a bargain compared to what okay. you would pay. Mm -hmm. So that's the. And what is your long-term vision for the brand? Because sure. I know that TripTax is integrating into a lot more because you have Trip World, you have Trip Booking, you have different things that are like in the ecosystem of TripTax. So what is your long-term goal for so, the brand? So right now, it's really to focus on TripTax, but to actually push one step further. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by pushing one step further is, I uh, mentioned earlier about, of course, offering this solution for government existing schemes. Mm -hmm. But uh, the one step further would be uh, to continue our consultation that we're doing okay. with government to actually upgrade and launch new to a statutory system. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're trying actually to reach out now with Saudi government uh, to launch a system mm -hmm. for Saudi. Uh, last week, a great announcement from the UK uh, 
uh, with uh, also willingness from the government to relaunch a tourist tax refund system uh, by 2024. So then there we want to be involved and to consult with the government instead of adapting always mm-hmm. the current system which has been built by the competition, mm-hmm. trying to have a system which is much more fair from the from the very beginning. Okay. So this is the first uh, long-term part, the great influencer on the tourist tax refund of tomorrow. And the second part is, I mentioned earlier, we are partnership-less with the mm-hmm. local stores. However, what we do is that we do work with all companies related uh, to uh, travelers, uh, even a bit, uh, even if it's a bit far. Uh, let's give an example. We're working with airlines, we're working mm-hmm. with uh, booking companies, with travel agencies, with transportation company, with a fintech company, mm-hmm. and we're actually offering trip tax direct to consumer, like explained, mm-hmm. but more importantly, we are the first in the industry to offer a white label solution. So for those companies to directly offer this service uh, into their uh, into their ecosystem uh, mm-hmm. for their for the travelers. So it's uh, with their own brand, with their own colors, and it's an extension of this. Today there's a more and more, I would say, companies that are trying to increase the number of services that they can offer to their customers, and this is perfectly where we're fitting. Quick example, when you look at TripAdvisor, they're mm-hmm. starting purely as advising and renting yeah. for this. But now they're doing hotels, they're doing mm-hmm. data, they're doing uh, activities. And TripTax, for example, would be a great offering for them. Okay. The extra services that you can offer. This is pure, very unique uh, today on the market. Okay, understood. So I'm going to ask him this because I feel bad that he's sitting on the side. So seeing as your brand had started off in 2019, which Right before COVID had hit off, how has how did COVID impact your business? Because obviously tourism almost essentially died out during COVID. Countries were going into lockdown. No one was able to travel. How did you guys cope with uh, the restrictions that were imposed? Well, there was two components of this. I'm going to let Alan start off with the impact on the business level, mm-hmm. and then I will then add on more about the commercial perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the impact on the business level was. Who? Meaning that no money, yeah. money coming. If you don't travel, you don't mm-hmm. you don't make money. So definitely, that was uh, I would say a uh, bit bad timing for us. Meaning that we actually uh, are ready with our first prototype, literally a month before the uh, the COVID lockdown. So it definitely was very bad timing in mm-hmm. However, actually, this COVID period was a great opportunity for us overall. Really? And that team yeah. So the way we see, yes, it's uh, it's a pretty significant impact on the business as a whole, but mm-hmm. the silver lining of this is that because of the fact that there was no travel demand, uh, companies found more time to basically relook into their business strategies and uh-huh. you know, uh, try to basically prioritize whether or not you know, there's other areas as the revenue mm-hmm. that you could be looking at. So this opens the door for us to essentially find a free time to talk with travel uh, companies, mm-hmm. uh, be it you know, in a, in a mobile, mobile payment, or we did as a travel agency or OTA, uh, gives their uh, project teams a little bit more time to look into this new collaboration that we can offer into the ecosystem. So we like to, to look on the positives. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, opportunities were not limited because there was no travel, but uh, at the same time, allowance to basically cater to a B2B model and then offer that directly to, uh, to our partners, to that consumer directly. Oh, okay, okay. So essentially, it was. COVID was kind of a blessing for you guys. <laughs> so during the COVID, if I'm correct, Tim, you 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 tell me if I'm not correct, but we we signed close to eighteen uh, 
partners. Wow. So during the COVID, so that was the the, the very great commercial speaking mm-hmm. because yeah, people didn't have time for us before. So this is definitely a great thing. And the second part of the of the COVID blessing is that we have been able to really add a lot of recruitment and create a great team, which I think we're going to discuss in a while, and uh, and actually make the product so much better than it was initially. And normally, when you're starting a startup, you're always trying to get the product out uh, as soon as possible because you want to have more feedback from the consumers. by being, you know, on time just before the lockdown, then so instead of rushing the, the launch of the product, then we had actually plenty of time to talk with the travelers and all our potential mm-hmm. customers. Okay, this is what we built. Is it exactly what you wanted? This is how you imagine it? And what are your feedbacks and your comments? And so we have been able to, I wouldn't say overall, but make quite a bit of changes and to make the product the great product in this day. And this is thanks to, I would say, COVID. That's lovely. And um, so as, as I was looking on at, into the app, the way people do it is like they upload their personal information, they will upload uh, the pictures onto the app. And then through that, because it is based on tourism, they will upload their passport details as well. So seeing as customers need to upload such sensitive personal information uh, onto the app, what steps have you taken to ensure that your customer's uh, private information is secure and protected. Because nowadays, if you've seen with Google having leaks, Facebook's having leaks, people are a lot more hesitant. People are very concerned about their personal information. So what steps have you taken? For us, I think we take uh, data privacy uh, very seriously. So I think one of the core criteria for the, for the technological partners that we work with are essentially that they have to be, of course, reputable and established. Mm-hmm. So in most cases, most of our storage uh, relies on AWS. Okay. Uh, so that's one component of it. Uh, internally, we also structured the way we protect data uh, to be compliant uh, mm-hmm. based on guidelines from uh, a PDPA or GDPR because we okay. operate both in Singapore as well as in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that, uh, we tend to stick to guidelines to know how data should be managed and protected. Uh, an example of this being that even internally within the company, not everybody within the company has access to basically all the data only what is necessary. So this is just one of the small examples as to how mm-hmm. uh, we, we definitely do not try to, to uh, share information even internally within the company. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I think on this level, uh, we're doing a pretty good job so far mm-hmm. based on data privacy. Okay, and uh, so as you've mentioned, like you, you follow that PDP rules in Singapore, so whatever country you would venture out to, you have to abide by that country's uh, I guess personally, like data protection apps, correct? Correct. So for us, because the data privacy policy covers consumers, mm-hmm. so for us, our app is used by essentially uh, users all over the world. Mm-hmm. So in whichever country that they are uh, coming from, typically we will try to always be aware uh, the data privacy policy covers in the, in the country that we the data. And then you will work with the government, as you guys have mentioned, you do work with governments like quite closely with them. So you work closely with. Let's say you're expanding out into the UK. So you would work with the British government to make sure that your app is abiding by all of the laws. And then do you have like a checking system that you do with them or it's just you, you've been given so, the... I think this one. So uh, of course, for this uh, type of business, uh, licenses are required by the government. And there is a really long and painful process which also not many companies want to go there and get to get this licensing. And those includes uh, a little bit always from the government. Mm-hmm. So we have, of course, external audits regarding the company, okay. but we also have audits by the government 
uh, to actually explore all these topics. How do we handle the data? How we handle the flow? How do we make sure that there's no fraud? How do we handle uh, all the communication with the government servers? Because all this is not, I would say, a service which is completely outside, but it's purely integrating using government systems and we exchange a lot of uh, information with the government. Mm -hmm. So definitely there's a, it's a very strong process that needs to be followed. A lot of the safeguards are taking place. And that's why there's you know, around 10 companies in the world doing this. Okay. Uh, quite heavy, but worth it because you want to make sure that uh, there's no gap and there's no security risk mm -hmm. going there. Okay, and have, do you guys have an internal team that deals with the the data security, or uh, do you? Okay, so you have an yes, internal so we team. Have, uh, today everything is in the cloud. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Okay, so that means you are completely in control of the data because there are certain concerns people have, or like, oh, you know, is this company? Outsourcing my data to someone else. Yeah, everything is kept internally, and like Tim mentioned, uh, even the data itself is uh, compartmented. Mm -hmm. It depends on who needs to access the data, and when there is data which is accessed by somebody, uh, it's also recorded uh, on our blockchain. Okay. So, uh, moving on to the next question is: How are you innovating using blockchain technology to ensure that your security is completely locked tight? Mm -hmm. So. Blockchain has become, I think, the past few years a big buzzword. Mm -hmm. A lot of people use blockchain because it's cool and it's great for investors and this, but there's no real use. For us, uh, we don't do crypto. However, we do blockchain uh, as there is a really strong use case in our situation. I mentioned earlier that you need to work with the governments in order to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Today, there's a big problem uh, because there's an incentive for the operators, the stores, and the tools to cheat. Uh, the government mm -hmm. is fake data and fake receipt and fake everything in order to get more money back from the government. So this is terrible and also mm -hmm. what is also, uh, I would say, preventing the government from being a little bit more pushy on the on, the, on this scheme. So with strip tax, this was one of the key, I would say, reasons for us for using the blockchain is that, as you know, the blockchain is some kind of, uh, obviously, database, a ledger, uh, that uh, you cannot modify what's written. Mm -hmm. You can only add more information and more blocks in order to complete the data. So what's happening is that since day one, so it's not something that we after, it's something that has been built uh, from the core. Mm -hmm. uh, we have everything on blockchain in our company. So all the data regarding transaction, the users and the stores, mm -hmm. they are on the blockchain, meaning that we give to government direct access uh, to uh, our blockchain audit tools, mm -hmm. where when they want to check, for example, a transaction, they can see in one click, and we're the only company in the world doing this, uh, who is the user, where he has been, what has been shot, and uh, where, where he's going next, and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. So they have the complete audit flow about what's happening with this user. By bringing this transparency, there's several advantages. Uh, first of all, uh, we can detect really easily mm -hmm. the fraud. That's happening mm -hmm. because we immediately see there's something wrong uh, in terms of the process. And secondly, by giving access in advance to the government with this data, we end up with a check rate in the account of goods, which is extremely low mm -hmm. uh, compared to the average on the, on the market because we are fully transparent with the government. There's no way we strip that which can go. This is this is very key for us uh, to bring this trust aspect with the government because we are fully transparent with them. Okay. Understood. And so for dealing with the blockchain technology, have you hired, uh, have you built out a team internally that has uh, like blockchain developers or are you partnering with other people who are like 
already a crypto company, have the blockchain technology, have people who developed it out with them? So we're working with a company called Cola. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's Artree, the company is Artree and the blockchain okay. is called Cola. This is not a public blockchain, the one that you see, it's mm-hmm. an enterprise blockchain. And uh, it's assuming it's a permission enterprise blockchain, and this is one that is used for banks, different institutions, and founders, for example, can I say, mm-hmm. you see that blockchain. So we're using this enterprise blockchain that we heavily customized on top of it to fit with our needs. So definitely we're using, I would say, one of the best companies in the world mm-hmm. to do this kind of thing, and we personalize our needs to make sure that we have the solution which is uh, custom, scalable, and, and be efficient at dealing with, uh, with our needs. Okay, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Next, like, is, so your blockchain technology you're using is custom-made for yes. your needs, correct? Yes, that's correct. And how did you go, like, what were the requirements or some of the things that you had in, in mind when you were going into this? Like, what are the things you were aiming for in terms of like it needs to be airtight and it also needs to be uh, remotely accessible to governments and stuff. So what was your thought process behind um, your your basic requirements that you mm-hmm. need for this blockchain technology? So we need something that can be compartmented also because for example we do one group per country per government mm-hmm. and we don't want the government A to be able to access the data of government B. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine all the issues that in terms of this, so we want to make sure it's compatible. We want to make sure that it's scalable. We don't need something with billion optimization per second, because this is not the case. It's something that can go uh, to a large volume without any problem of transaction. And we wanted something which is uh, what we call gas less, so there's no crypto involved to make a transaction. So it's just recording in the technology, so there's no uh, fee, there's very strong fees to operate it. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a cost to operating, but something that is manageable for private entity. And lastly, uh, we wanted, of course, a solution which is already widely known and accepted by government institutions mm-hmm. and by banks in order to yeah, to bring more credibility into what we are into what we're building and how we're implementing it. So yeah, today we are definitely the first private company uh, with a fully uh, blockchain and I will say security mm-hmm. on the market. I mean, that's honestly very impressive, like the way, the thought process behind it, you know, just being able to use technology that, because most people don't understand blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. Most people think of it in their mind straight goes to, oh, this crypto is going to be a scam. And that inherent disconnect that people have, I think it's really impressive how you manage to look at the solution and be like, listen, blockchain is not just crypto. There's vastly more opportunities available for mm-hmm. it. So, industry, when you brought in, was your thought always leading towards where your data protection always leading towards uh, blockchain technology, or did you have uh, other no, methods to begin with? Like I said, already the core was already on the, already on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Is this trust aspect? First, like I said, the most important for us, if you want to go and to become a market leader in this industry, is to have government process. The first thing we could do for that process is to be the only company in the market transparent. Mm-hmm. So, how to bring transparency? Blockchain for us was the only way we could do it okay. because this is the only technology existing today mm-hmm. where you simply cannot change uh, the data in the database mm-hmm. and then submit whatever you want. So, we wanted to have this hey, from day one, we are fully transparent with you. So, now let's trust us a little bit. On proposing this, I would say evolution into a factory format of, of tomorrow. And uh, so the first point is about is scalability. Okay. Is that need to be scalable? Is mm-hmm. it something that would work in my country and not in another? Mm-hmm. So we need something that can go everywhere. So and uh, 
seeing as you are a growing company, what are the recruitment tactics that you guys are using to build out and expand the team? So I would say that uh, because of COVID, uh, we're always trying to, I would say, expand the team and develop. Mm -hmm. uh, being a Singapore-based company, we always, of course, try to build as much as we can in Singapore and to recruit as much mm -hmm. as we can. But when COVID, everything got, I would say, shut inside. Yeah. So we had not a choice but to look everywhere. And uh, what our strategy is now is that we're actually looking at where the talents are. Okay. And so we have team now in uh, we have uh, we have team now in eight different countries. Uh, so it's all about finding the right the right the, the right talent and, and, and the right uh, the right people. So the way that we look at it, it's always trying to first get uh, I would say this right state of mind. And so we always start with logic test, not based on the on the on the mass or whatever the logic test to really understand okay can you think outside of the box can you solve sort the of program and from there after we pass this then we're moving towards the specific test depending on the depending on the recruitment board okay that's what, that's what we are doing so uh yeah means working on means are specific and, and when you are doing like going out and recruiting people so for specifically uh, I remember talking to him about this so you guys are looking to like expand out the team because you relatively, since 2019, you guys have been, you were accepted in 2019 and you are looking to expand out. So when you're looking for people to come on board, what would you say is like makes the ideal candidate for you? What are the requirements that they need to have? I think the first thing uh, to know is that the pace and boldness of startup is actually extremely fast. Mm -hmm. So for risk, we usually look at the most top skills uh, as, a, as an entry requirement. So this group of being uh, adaptable, mm -hmm. uh, having a passion for the role, mm -hmm. I think this tool allows them to be able to put in the required uh, work uh, necessary to achieve their goals. Uh, we try to look for people who are not afraid to be well sleep, to get their hands dirty. And um, I think in a nutshell, uh, we, we basically choose to work with people who still love the product. Mm -hmm. uh, we try to, in a startup, try to cultivate more family-like Linkers uh, around okay. the core team so that you know, uh, working closely together because there's a lot of collaborations happening on a daily basis. Uh, it makes it doesn't feel that much work, but more towards uh, like a, a, a group of passionate individuals working together to grow the product to you know, bring the product to the next level. So that is actually what we try to, to achieve for the initial uh, or at least the initial uh, tracks that we look at for the years. And um, what is next for Triptax? Where do you see, because obviously we talked about the long-term vision, but looking at it more on a short-term scale, where, what is the next few steps for you guys? Mm -hmm. So definitely uh, get more licensing in mm -hmm. some countries. So we are looking right now at, uh, we've been discussing for a while with the Singapore government to get our license in Singapore. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also triggers a lot of great partnerships uh, with the international airlines. Yeah. This is quite nice. We're looking also in Asia to expand in Korea and Japan and Indonesia. Uh, we are looking now actually to expand in Europe. So right now we are in France, mm -hmm. so with Belgium, uh, with Spain, and with UK. Now this is coming on the, on the table. Mm -hmm. And finally, we are looking at the Middle East, uh, on short term, with Saudi Arabia and with Dubai mm -hmm. uh, that are really selling for us. So this is, we'll say, more short term. Do we expect uh, to have all this? We'll say up and running in some time next year. So we're really uh, trying hard to push on, on, on this part. And that's good.
Mm-hmm. License bathrooms in fact, of course, Mr. Kip signing, I would say, great uh, deal with corporate companies mm-hmm. and uh, getting you know, the credit cards, uh, credit card programs to get mm-hmm. into uh, the airlines programs to get into uh, the OTAs uh, offerings. So mm-hmm. it's definitely the big step. And when you are looking to expand out into new places, do you generally target countries that are more uh, like tourist hotspot? For example, you mentioned Dubai. Dubai is a huge tourist hotspot. So is that your strategy when you're looking to expand out to different countries? Do you primarily target places that are tourist hotspots, or do you are you open to any country? Well, like for example, you could target a country like, um, for example, uh, Luxembourg, which is not traditionally a very like touristy place, but you know, people do go there on vacation, people do want to see because everyone wants to explore a new place. So we look at several aspects. So of course we look at the volume, internal volume, mm-hmm. we look at the VAT rate, because of course if you have low volume and little VAT rate, then it might not be worth mm-hmm. it, but also people might not want to do it. They can say, hey, there's only 3% VAT, maybe I don't want to, don't want mm-hmm. to bother for that. And uh, we're also looking at uh, what type of access and penalties the government regarding this. Because being, like I, like I mentioned, the monopoly, there are several countries that have been also monopolizing them of, uh, uh, of certain companies having direct government contracts and operating for the government, not leaving any space for new players to come into the market. So we are looking also at the feasibility and how, how complex it would be to uh, actually enter that market. Okay, lovely. Um, I think that's all the time we have for today. I just want to again thank you so much for joining us. And, thank you for having us. Hopefully in the future, we would love to have you guys come back again. And uh, like whatever topics we have next time, we would love to host you guys again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all for our podcast for today. Join us next time. Thank you and goodbye. Bye-bye.